Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. What was that about, right? Are you good? It, if it's your first time here, the reason they're clapping is because I have my new false teeth in. And they, and they said they, they like the way it looks and stuff like that. I wear a suit twice, uh, twice a year, and typically it's around Christmas time. And then uh, uh, for a Good Friday service, I like to wear a suit. And uh, I got to wear them while I still fit in them. How many men can relate to that right now? Yeah, amen to that one, huh? Uh, well, my name is uh, Jim Del Campo, and I'm the uh, senior pastor here. And we've been in, and just thanks for coming out. Uh, we've been in this series uh, called Arrival, to going through the Christmas story. We like to go to the Christmas story every, every December. It's just great to go back over it again. And uh, four weeks ago, we covered, um, we looked first at the partnering with Mary, partnering with Jesus. She had to meet the criteria. She was a virgin. That was part of the criteria for her to be used by God. And then we look at the orchestration after that and how God orchestrates all the pieces to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy uh, from Micah hundreds of years earlier um, so the Christ child could be born there. And then from there, last week we looked at the invader, Jesus the invader, and how he invaded the lives of the shepherds. But we use that in application to show how he invades everyone's life if we allow him to invade our lives. And then, um, and then today we're going to take it and our last step and we're going to look at he's arrived. Now, we're going to do something different this morning that uh, you probably didn't expect. Hopefully you enjoyed coming But this morning, we have flown in three young pastors from all over the Inland Empire, okay? <laughs> flown them in, all right? And uh, actually, they're on our staff here. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give the introduction to the message. And then I'm going to get out of the way and... Pastor Charlie Headley is going to give point one. He's going to talk about a, a fitting arrival. And then Pastor Robert is going to come out. He's going to talk about how it's a decisive arrival. You have to make a decision. And then Pastor Michael, our worship leader, is going to come out and talk about the impacting arrival, how it Im- Jesus impacts our lives with his arrival. Then I'm going to come back. I'm going to close it up. And, um, but I want to begin just very quickly for me just to share this, and then I'll get out of the way and let the real preachers come up, okay? Um, but have you ever, we're, we're shifting in our, in our text. We're moving from Luke. We've been using that every week, the Christmas story in Luke. And now we're gonna shift just for this week to Matthew. And um, have you ever just um, wondered in Matthew why, and some of you do know this, but for those who don't, this is something you can walk away with today also. Why the Magi, who are not Jewish, but they are Persians, who live 800 miles away from Jerusalem, where they're going to first go to, why are they coming to look for a Jewish Messiah? They even call him born king of the Jews. Why would they do that? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever, logically. Well, I want to share with you how this all works why they did come here to Jerusalem looking for the Messiah. There's a young man, teenage boy, by the name of Daniel. 
around 603, 604, 605 BC, he's maybe 15, 17 years old. He gets deported to Babylon when they siege Jerusalem. He's a Jewish young man. And they take him to Babylon. There, they do the whole thing that they've always done and still, they still do it today, is they try to re-educate him in the ways of that culture. They try to twist his mind to think like the Babylonians think, but he's a Jewish boy. He's grown up in a Jewish home. He believes in one God and one God only, Yahweh. They're going to try to get him to think in different ways. They even change his name. There's a complete brainwashing of him, but the problem is this. His mommy and daddy raised him up right. His mommy and daddy brought him up in church to know the one living God. His mommy and daddy lived the one living God, the true God, and so they can't get him. They can't change his thinking. And so this young man begins to distinguish himself because he's one of the best and the brightest. And eventually, what happens is he rises up into a certain position in the Babylonian Empire and then the Persian Empire because they conquered the Babylonians in 539 B.C., and there's something written about him that points to why the Magi knew that the Messiah would be born. And the first thing we look at is Daniel chapter 5 and verse 11. Now watch what's written. This is a description by someone in Babylon or Persia, and they're, they're talking, or Babylon, I should say Nebuchadnezzar they're talking to. So they're talking from a pluralistic God thing, but Daniel believes in the one God. They say, there's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. You see how they're pluralistic out there, but Daniel is not. He believes in the one true God. And in the days of your father, illumination and insight and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, there it is again, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, this is who they're saying it to in Babylon. Your father, your father the king, appointed him, him mean Daniel, chief of the magicians, that's the magi guys, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. Now Daniel... He has distinguished himself so much that he becomes the chief of the Magi. It's called the Rab Mag. And so now we draw this conclusion, and obviously that he's going to educate the Magi that are under him about the one true God. He's going to tell them, because he knows the Old Testament Scriptures too, he's going to tell them that you're going to be looking for a Jewish king, this guy that's going to be born, this, this Messiah. And so he begins to educate them, in 500 and some BC. But then, well, the question is this, how do they know to follow a star? Where do they get that idea from? Well, where, where, where's that come from? Well, drift back farther into the Old Testament scriptures, and in Numbers, there's a man named Balaam. And he hears what he prophesies in, in Numbers 24, 17. He says, I see him, this is one of the hundreds of prophetic statements about the Messiah to come. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near." A star, say a star, a star, shall come forth from Jacob. That's the line of Jesus. A scepter, because he's a king, shall rise from Israel. He will come through the Jewish nation. And shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheth. Now we find out that there's a prophetic statement that was made by Balaam in Numbers. And the statement is that there's going to be this star. And so Daniel knows these things. He knows the scriptures. And as he teaches the Magi, and he becomes the Rob Mog, head chief of the Magi, he tells them, and he tells them probably many other scriptures, there's going to be a Messiah to come. He will be born to the Jewish nation. And you're going to look for a star. Now, 
That's interesting because, and here's how God orchestrates, the Magi, they study the stars. They study the sky. So one night, they're looking in the night sky like they've done every night, and they've done every night for hundreds of years, and they see some kind of difference. There's something that's just not normal in the sky. And they must have deduced to themselves, this is it. This is what the Rob Mog Daniel told us about. And so they decide to set out and to go find this Christ child, this Messiah. And they follow this illumination in the night sky. They travel 800 miles. And when they leave, guys, the Messiah's already arrived. By the time they get there, Jesus is not newborn. He's a toddler by this time. But by the time they get there, he's arrived. And today, we're gonna look at how his arrival impacts into our life in three different ways by each of these young new beginnings and we have many more young ministers but these three new beginnings ministers here we go God bless you guys good morning everybody how are we doing today I know I normally don't wear a suit. I feel very uncomfortable. I'm just gonna get that out of the way right now. Uh, Pastor Jim begged me to wear a suit, so I said yes, so he didn't wanna be the only one up here with a suit on. Um, but this morning, I have the privilege of giving us the very first point in the message today. And if you don't know me, my name is Charlie. I'm our generations pastor here, and I get to work with our kids, youth, and young adults across all of our campuses. And speaking of campuses, we do have some of our Riverside campus here today. And I just wanna say welcome. Excited that you guys are here with us. They got kicked out of their building. Um, the office was closed, so they couldn't go there today. But they'll be back in the new year. Um, but like I said, today I get the honor to give you guys the very first point. And the first point, if you're taking notes, is a fitting arrival. A fitting arrival. And if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to go to Matthew chapter 2, because that's where we are going to be hanging out pretty much for the rest of of today. But Matthew chapter 2, and I do just want to give you a heads up. I don't know how I got the short end of the stick, but uh, Michael and Robert, they got like a chunk of verses to go over. Pastor Jim gave me one, and I, I'm like, okay, here we go. And this is the one verse that he allowed me to speak off of, and it's Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Verse 1 says this, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying. Now imagine you get that verse, Pastor Jim says here, speak off of this verse. It's like, thanks a lot, Pastor Jim. But really, I honestly want to even cut that verse in half. And what I really want to do is just focus on the first half of that verse. And it says this, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod. I don't know about you, but when I look at the Christmas story and I look at the life of Jesus, the, the coming Messiah, being born in Bethlehem, one of the questions I always ask myself, 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 <laughs> is why Bethlehem? Like of all places for Jesus, the King of Kings, to be born, God chooses Bethlehem. Bethlehem, just contextually, isn't a giant city. There's nothing really grand about Bethlehem. It's not a great trade city. Like if I was God, thank God I'm not, but if I was God, I would have my son Jesus not be born in Bethlehem, but would be born just six miles up the road in the holy city, Jerusalem. Like that to me 
would look like more of a fitting arrival than Jesus being born in Bethlehem. And Pastor Jim kind of alluded to it already that really we, we see the coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, painted all over the Old Testament. And to really make this a fitting arrival for us to understand why Jesus was born in Bethlehem, we would go all the way back to our Old Testament in a book called Micah, and specifically Micah chapter 5, verse 2, to find why this is such a fitting arrival. And it says this, But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the chains of Judea, or Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be the ruler in Israel, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Micah chapter five, verse two, it was said 700 years before the birth of Jesus, before the fitting arrival into Bethlehem. So again, we could take this Old Testament scripture, paint it today into the New Testament of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, and we can look at that and be like, that's a fitting arrival. It was talked about, it was prophesied, and it came to pass. And we can end the message right here, we could pray and we can all eat the tamales that our families have made for Christmas and open some Christmas gifts. But that would not explain why I brought this piece of bread up here. Anyone love bread? I love some bread. Like it is so good. I, I just love like, anyone like, you guys ever been to Texas Roadhouse? Mm-hmm. Now you guys are alive, like ooh, Texas Roadhouse. Like, I can sit at Texas Roadhouse and eat, like, three baskets of rolls and just be fine. Like, don't even get me any other food. Just give me the rolls and especially that butter. <sighs> that butter. Someone came up to me after first service and was like, now we're going to go to Texas Roadhouse because of you. You're welcome. Uh, take me with you. But I do. I, I, I love bread. But what if I told you this, this loaf of bread that was bought today at Stata Brothers had a significant role into why Jesus being born in Bethlehem was a fitting arrival. You see, Bethlehem, if you did not know, Bethlehem means house of bread. Beth meaning house, Lehem meaning bread. House of bread. And the reason why that is so fitting with the birth of Jesus is because of what Jesus would later on say in the New Testament, later on in his earthly ministry. Jesus would go on to say this in John chapter 6, verse 35. Can we put that up there? John chapter 6, verse 35 says this Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst again. Now, taking all of this into consideration in this fitting arrival of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, Jesus being born in a place called the house of bread, which would later he go on to say that he is the bread of life, is truly remarkable. But let me paint it this way, because I think I got like one more minute. If you haven't noticed, I, I work out. Um, and why did you guys laugh at that? Like... I put my suits on today and none of them fit me. And I was like, this is awkward. But I work out. And recently, really at the beginning of August, I started to run. I, got, I, I turned 29 in August, coming up into my 30s. And I kind of had like a, a quarter life crisis. I was like, I need to start working out. And, and so I started to run. And there's a guy that I follow. We're like best friends on Instagram. Uh, he never responds to me, but I respond to him. <laughs> His name is Nick Bear, and my wife is sick and tired of me talking about this guy, Nick Bear, because I'd probably bring him up at least once a week, uh, maybe once a day, but 
I watch all his videos on YouTube, and, and one of the things that he says when it comes to running and, and long distance running is carbs are fuel. Bread, what it does is it's a sustainer. It sustains you when you go on these long runs, and so what ends up happening is your body taps into the carbs that's in your body to allow you to keep on going. It's fuel. And the reason why I bring that up with you, not just to say I, I run and I look good now, um, but I, I bring that up today because when we take the understanding of what uh, Jesus says in John chapter six, take the understanding of Bethlehem, meaning the house of bread, it's really a beautiful picture for you and me this Christmas season to understand that the things of this world does not sustain us. The things we get this Christmas tomorrow is not what's going to bring us truly eternal joy. But the one that calls himself the bread of life is what's truly gonna give us the fuel that will sustain us for the rest of our lives. Things of this world come and go, but Jesus is forever. So why is this a fitting arrival? Because again, the Jesus we get to worship, the Jesus we get to sing our praises to, is the one that sustains us forever, truly being from the house of bread. And right now, what we're gonna do is Pastor Robert's gonna come out here and he's gonna give you the second point in our message today. Thank you. Thanks, Charlie. Good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing today? Good morning. Awesome. Hey, so um, my name is Robert Arroyo. I get to be the youth pastor here for New Beginnings Norco. I've been doing that for the past two years. It's been a blast. I would not want to do anything else. Um, but I've been given the task today uh, to be able to go over point two with you all, um, and that's going to be decisive arrival. So if you have notes, please fill out decisive arrival. And really, it's because there's a, a decision that needs to be made, not just for us, but also in the story that we get to read today, because in the text, we get to see uh, King Herod and also the Magi, and it's, and it's funny because we, we read verse 1, but when Charlie went over it, I was just sitting back in excitement of verse 2, because you finally get to hear what the Magi tell the king, and I don't know about you, but when it typically, in the Bible, when you read and you see someone talk to the king, Man, there's some wild stuff that happens, man. Like, there's this one story in the Old Testament where this guy, nah, I don't got time for that. Anyway, that's besides the point, okay? But what today I'm really going to talk about is what happens with the Magi, okay? So for the Magi in verse 2, we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 2. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 2 through 5. Let's find out what the Magi say to this king. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes and all the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And those verses that were then followed after that is actually from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that Charlie just went over. But see, today I want to focus on the fact that we have two search parties. We have two groups of people. We have the Magi and we have the King. And you see, these two groups are doing one thing. They're looking. They're looking for this King. But it's funny because this is a newborn King, right? Like this is sweet little baby Jesus, isn't it? You know, like this is like cute, cuddly, in the manger baby Jesus. Yes, but also he's King Jesus, right? 
Like, it's not just like he's born and is here and is yet to be king. Like, sometimes we live in the here but not yet, you know? Like, sometimes, like, winter time comes around, we're here, and, you know, I have a six-pack, but uh, it's not here yet. You know what I'm saying? Or it's like my mustache. It's, it's here, but not yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's here, but not yet. Like, the middle, if anyone has any tips, uh, the middle's not growing in. I don't know what to do. I've been stressing out. My wife tells me to shave it. I tell her, no, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm at a loss. Okay. But, um, no, <laughs> the point is, is that we live in this here, but not yet sometimes. Right. And you see, that's not the case for Jesus. He's eternal. He was King from the start and he's King in this moment. And so here's the point that I'm trying to make is that we see King Jesus born and Herod is threatened. He's angry, but why would King Herod be threatened by a little baby? It's because he does in fact view little baby Jesus as a king rightfully so rightfully so and so now we have two people looking for this king with two different motives right and it's important for us to understand that we are in that same boat today but let's take a look at the difference between the wise men and the king but for us to do that we need to go back to verse 2 so let's look at Matthew chapter 2 starting in verse 2 let's read that one more time it says where is he who's been born king of the Jews for we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. This is the Magi saying this. We've come to worship him. King Herod later goes on to say, yeah, 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 I want to worship him too. But he didn't want to worship him. In fact, he orders a decree later on that he wants to kill all the children, two and under. His intention wasn't to worship him. His intention was to remain king. You see, when Herod hears there's another king, he says, that means there's no way I can be king. And that's the boat we live in. We live in the boat today, here and now, where we have to make a decision. Are we going to worship King Jesus and respect the authority he holds? Not because he holds with this ruling fist. However, he may hold all power, all dominion over all things, but came down from heaven to earth with love for us to suffer and die on behalf of us. This is the gospel. And we see this time and time again. But here's the point on this message when we have the Magi that go and worship King Jesus. We have the opportunity as well to decide, am I going to worship King Jesus or am I going to continue to view myself as the only king, as the only Lord of my life and decide what I want to do, what's best? And that's where we find ourselves constantly. And I'm not saying this to be a mean guy. I'm not saying this to make you feel bad. What I'm saying is that this is an everyday thing. It's not just every once in a while when we show up for Christmas or maybe Easter, we get all dressed all nice. You know how stressful it was, by the way? Everyone's wearing suits today, okay? Can I just say that? Like, they were like, hey, Rob, you wearing a suit? I'm like, I don't know. The only suit I got is bright orange. That's not Christmas, you know? It's like, I was stressed out of my mind. I went to three different Coles, two different Marshalls, no green ties, okay? You would have seen me in a suit if I had a green tie. Don't, I don't have a green tie. So that's, that's besides the point. But understand, that's not what Christmas is really about though, right? It's not about the idea of having the nice clothes and taking pictures and, and Santa, even though those things are all great. I'm not saying they're bad or wrong. But it's remembering every single day, even outside of a Christmas season, that Jesus is king. I submit my life to him. And he's trustworthy of it. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise we got to make that decision. Without further ado, what I'm going to do is invite Pastor Michael Estrada to come finish out the rest of tonight's message, okay? Or this morning. But anyways, yeah. See you guys later. Good morning, New Beginnings. 
Merry Christmas. My name is Michael Estrada. Uh, I get to uh, I have the, the, the privilege to uh, head our uh, worship ministry here uh, here on, at Norco, but uh, across all our campuses. It's a pleasure. Thank you for letting me do that. Uh, today I'm going to speak on Jesus and impacting arrival. Jesus and impacting arrival. All right, just for some context, the Magi now have seen the sign in the sky, right? The star, and they're traveling eastwardly. They find themselves in Israel. They find themselves in Jerusalem in the court of uh, King Herod. Now, King Herod, he asked the Magi, when you find the child, let me know so I can worship him. But we know that's not the truth. He's an evil man. So tightly was the grip of lust of power upon him that he was willing to sacrifice in that region every child male child to and under could you imagine how evil that was his true intent and the magi whether they knew his true intent or not they found that they saw the uh, sign and they continued traveling on and that's where we find them right now in Matthew Matthew 2 9 through 12 there we go Let's read this together. After hearing the king, they went their way. The Magi went their way. And the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Amen. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then, Opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Okay, let's break this down. So in one sense, it's real simple. In one sense, they found the child. They worshiped God. They had an experience there worshiping God. And after being warned by God, they left a different direction to avoid talking to King Herod. That's in one sense we could say that. But in another sense, and where it becomes maybe applicable in our lives, is this. The Magi found God, had an experience with Jesus there, worshipped at his feet, and they left differently. They left changed. They left transformed. And that could be true for us. That is true for us. We have a chance every Sunday, church, to lift our hands and lift our voices and worship to God and let his power transform us and transform our lives. We get that opportunity to experience Jesus every Sunday. And you know what's amazing about that? We can, when our lives, is, when our lives are transformed by the power of God, we could cast off the burdens of rage and uncertainty and joylessness we get to put on the abundance of peace and joy that God has for us. And here's the real amazing part. Not only is that for us, but we are to share that with those around us and not around us to the ends of the earth. We're tasked with that. That's a command given to us by God. And you know, I would just, I would say this. You have that opportunity and we have that opportunity and it's great to do that. Every Sunday, you know, it's, it's great that we get to do that here in these walls. 
okay? But I would say this as an encouragement. Maybe for those of you that um, are maybe a little bit self-conscious about, do, about worshiping, you know, or, or uh, you know, I don't know, whatever is hindering you from lifting your hands and lifting your voice to God when, when we're singing together. I will tell you this, and just as a reminder to us that do do that, when, if we can't do that, here amongst friends, here amongst like-minded individuals, then how could we ever do that out there? How could we ever expect to do that out there? What would our lives look like? What would our homes look like if we continued to worship outside these walls? Some of a lot, all of us really, but a lot, a lot of us will be going to holiday gatherings. Yeah. What if we said, how great is our God? What if we said, you love me as you find me, Lord? You know, before we made our statements and after we made our statements. And what I mean by, by that is this. You know, if uh, we're going to our holiday get-togethers, you know, sometimes there's that friend or that family member that maybe you just, yeah, yeah some of you are laughing because, you know, maybe it's just like, all right, I just, I need, I need some space, <laughs> you know? Once a year isn't enough space or something. You know, but before we greeted that family member, what if we said, you love me as you find me, Lord? Hello. How great is our God? What would that interaction be like? What if when we get home, that's what our conversations are like with our spouses, with our, uh, with our children, with uh, our parents, with our siblings, so on and so forth? You know that feeling? Let me ask you something. I'm sure you know this feeling. You know that feeling <laughs> when you've worked all day? I don't know. At, out at work all day or you were, you know, out in the lawn all day working or, you know, I don't know, painting the house, something. So. But you get home, you're reaching for that trash can to take it out. You're tired. And then down the hall you hear, don't forget to take the trash out. It just makes you, you know what I'm talking about? It makes you not want to do it. You're looking at that trash. You're like, I'm just not going to do this. Okay. But what if, what if our response was, you love me as you find me? Uh, No problem. I got it. How great is our God? And the same hands you use to lift in church and worship to Jesus are the same hands you're using to lift that trash out of that trash can and take it out joyfully. (laughs) You know, when you're, uh, Here's something. You know when you're uh, washing dishes, there's that pile of dishes, and maybe it's been a couple days, you know? We should get better at that. Okay. There's a pile of dishes, and you're getting through it. Boom, 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 boom. And you get to that last one. Maybe it's a cutting board or something like that. You get to that last one, and someone brings by their mug that they used for coffee that morning, and they couldn't rinse it out. So now it's crusty with coffee on the bottom. You know what I'm talking about? Because that's not simple. That's not just like, you know, it's like, you got to work that one. You got to take that sponge to that mug, you know? They bring that by. Maybe it's the the milk and cookies that the kids had, you know, uh, a couple days ago in that crusty, milky glasses. You know what I'm talking about. And they're just, here's some more dishes, you know? They're coming your way. What if instead we said, Hey, thank you for bringing these. They needed to get done. How great is our God? And those same joyful worshiping hands are the same joyful worshiping hands that are washing those dishes. What would our houses look like? Okay. 
as you know, I'm a movie guy. <laughs> now, in Gladiator Maximus, he enters the Colosseum. Okay? No. No. Something else. Something different. Okay. Okay. Has anyone here ever heard of The Grinch? <laughs> yeah. Okay, and I'm a sucker for nostalgia, right? And so that... I think it was 66 that that cartoon came out. That's the best one. I'm sorry. It just is. It's always going to be. You could disagree. You're objectively wrong. It's okay. That's the best one. But I will say Jim Carrey did a great job, right? He did a great job. And then uh, remember how everyone was asking for another one? Uh, made 3D. Everyone was just like, please make another one. Please make another. I don't remember that. I wasn't doing that. I don't know. You might have Okay. That one might be great. I haven't seen that one, but who knows? I don't know. That one, I could be missing out. That could be my bad thing. Okay. So the Grinch, though. The Grinch. Bad guy. Garlic in his soul. Something, something. Eels. Blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't touch him with a 30, 34 and a half foot pole. Something like this. You know. Bad guy. He's looking down at the who's in Whoville, and he wants to stop Christmas from coming, and he wants to stop them from celebrating. So he comes up with the plan, yeah? He's like, I'm gonna get down there and I'm gonna take all the decorations, all the presents, all the food, even that crumb. Remember that crumb? The one that was too small for a mouse? Yeah, and worst of all, he took the roast beast. The roast beast, you know? That's like the, the centerpiece on the table there. He took that, right? And he takes all that with him, puts it on his, uh, on his sleigh and he takes it up Mount Crumpet he's going this direction right and when he gets there he hears something he hears singing in Whoville he thought he could stop Christmas from coming he thought he could stop them from celebrating but he couldn't he didn't realize what Christmas was all about And he changes, right? His heart was two sizes too small, but he starts changing. He starts transforming. And he has an experience there with a who named Cindy Lou Who, right? So cute. And uh, Cindy Lou Who tells him, no one should be alone on Christmas. And that, with that experience, his heart grew, what is it, three sizes that day? And instead of taking all of that this direction, he was transformed, he turned around, and now he's taking it this direction. And he goes down into Whoville, and he's able to give them their presents and their decorations, and he, yes, even he himself got to carve the roast beast. Right? See, the Grinch had an experience there. It changed him. And he comes back a different direction, comes back changed. And I will say this, maybe it's possible, that God said the same thing. No one should be alone on Christmas. I will be there. And that's an impacting arrival. Amen. And so now I would encourage you, church, this season especially, but going into the new year, I would encourage you to lift your hands. I would encourage you to sing with your voices and find that encounter with Jesus and let his power transform your life. Peace and joy. Thank you. And go ahead and...
welcome our founding pastor, Pastor Jim Del Campo. We have some really good young preachers, don't we? We have them all over our campuses. Uh, it's great. I wish I was young like that, too. But uh, I thought I was going to grow my hair out like Michael for today or shave the middle of my mustache like Robert. Um, <laughs> did, did Robert use the line that nobody shaves the middle or nobody has the middle? How many remember Cantinflas? Anybody? <laughs> that's who Robert. Some of you have no clue what I just said, but that's Robert right there, okay? Um, but um, but I, let me just tie this whole thing up this way. Um, at my house, uh, I'm sure some of you know exactly what I'm experienced this. We have all these crates, these containers. And every beginning of December, I have to go up into this attic area. I have to crawl in there and start pushing them out. And I'm looking for spiders and I'm getting all dirty because my wife needs them. Push them out in our balcony area. There's like eight of them. Because, and then I have to take them. She needs to take everything out of there and set everything up in our home, all the decorations. Anybody, any men know what I'm talking about right now? Okay, it's small group time. Let's go, guys. No, I'm just joking, because <laughs> it's painful. But, um, and then the house is filled with Christmas. It's really cool. And then after Christmas, I got to go get the empty containers, and I got to pull them back out. And then she takes everything down, and she puts it in the crates. And then I push the crates back in to this attic area. I close the door in, on there. I lock it. And then Christmas is over. Jesus has hit the road, okay? He's all crated up. Now, if you think about it, that's exactly the way our society lives today when it comes to Jesus Christ. We bring him out. We acknowledge him somewhat during this December season. We don't even call it Christmas anymore. It's happy holidays. If you tell me that, I'm going to tell you Merry Christmas. Um, but then we package him back up and crate him up and put him back in the crates and after Christmas, he's out of sight and he's out of mind. When Jesus is born and they come looking for him, the Magi, as I said earlier, Jesus is a toddler by then and Herod wants to crate up Jesus. He wants to kill him. So Jesus must flee. Parents take him to Egypt because like I said, Herod wants to kill him until Herod dies and he can come back. When Jesus becomes an adult, the Pharisees, the scribes, would always go on the attack against him, and they would uh, try to make him look like a liar, try to make him look like he's not really who he says he is, and so they're always trying to crate him up, contain him, and put him away, but they're unsuccessful. In fact, they get to a point where they're afraid to talk to him because he's just too smart and too wise because, you know, he's like God in the flesh. One time, Jesus is crossing the Sea of Galilee, He's asleep in the boat, and a massive storm hits. Now, this is not some ordinary storm because the way Jesus talks to it, he talks to it like it's some kind of entity, a demonic entity, when he says, basically, shut up, be still, and it calms down. And so you see there where Satan tried to crate up Jesus and drown him in the Sea of Galilee so he could not fulfill the mission. And then, of course, Jesus come to that place where he knows his time has come, what he's here for, and the Pharisees and Sadducees, they go on the attack again. And this time to try to crate him up, they capture him. And they take him through these trials all night long. They're all illegal trials, guys. And they're bringing up all kinds of lies about him. They're trying to get him on blasphemy. And 
None of them, they're all just made up charges. Nothing's true. They can't get him anything until they finally get him to admit who he is. He's God in the flesh. And boy, they just go nuts over that one. But they can't kill him. They can't, they can't fully crate him up. So they deliver him to Pontius Pilate. You've heard of him. And when they bring him to Pontius Pilate, because he's the one who can carry out capital punishment and really crate the guy up, they state a different charge against Jesus. Now they move from blasphemy because Pilate could care less about blasphemy. They, they go towards insurrection. That he's insurrectionist against the government of Rome. And they don't even bring charges. In fact, Pilate asks them what's the charges and they just say, well, he's just an evildoer. Nothing. No evidence whatsoever. They just scream and yell and get their way. God, shocking, huh? And then so they bring him there. And Pilate can't find a way out. He wants out. He doesn't want to kill Jesus. He doesn't. In fact, his wife warns him. Have nothing to do with this man. But he ends up washing his hands of the situation and proclaims that Jesus will go to crucifixion. And so they take him and they beat him and they torment him and they beat him and they beat him and boy, they whip him and they beat him. And finally, they put him on a cross, crucifixion. We see the description of it in David's prophecy a thousand years before. David's prophecy was hundreds of years before crucifixion was ever even invented. And it's a play-by-play in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. And Jesus on that cross, he dies, and they think, ah, we've crated him, we're gonna continue, let's put him in a tomb, roll the stone, we got him in a crate, he's done. Out of sight, out of mind, it's December 26th, let's move on to New Year's. But then we all know, at least I think most of us, that three days later, in that crate, he blows that tomb wide open. And he comes out resurrected, proving who he is. Evidenced by nine eyewitnesses, the writers, and 27 documents, plus a New Testament guide that's not even in the Gospels by the name of Paul. You say, come on, Jim, can you trust them? Listen, guy, do you know how we know George Washington lived? The same method we know Jesus lived. The people who lived at his time who wrote about him. It's the same method with everyone in history. Everyone. And we know from all the writers in history that Jesus did live, Jesus did exist. But they couldn't create him. And he blew that tomb. And he rose from the dead. And he ascended into heaven. Now here's the big question. Why? Why does he go through all this? What's the big point? The point is you and me. See, he went to that cross, in case you've never heard the gospel, that Jesus came for us sinners and every one of us. And if you say, well, I'm not a sinner, I challenge you for one day, just one day tell yourself you're not gonna do anything wrong, you're not gonna think a wrong thought, you're not gonna say a wrong thing. Try it for one day, and then you'll find out what a sinner you really are. I just tell people I've committed about 90,000 sins in my life. Anybody with me on that one right there? But Jesus came to wash every one of them away. That's why he went to the cross, and he shed his blood. That's why he was sinless, so he could die, shed his blood to forgive you of your sins because that's the only thing that stops you and I from an eternity with God and sends us directly to hell. It's our sin. You say, Jim, I can be a good person. Sorry, no, you can't. You'll always sin. And good deeds do not erase sin at all. So Jesus comes for that and they bury him. So here he comes, he's deity, death, they bury him and then the resurrection, he rises from the dead. Why? Wash away your sins. The resurrection is new life. The way Michael talked here at the end, that he impacts your life and he changes your life. 
He can set you on a new course. Wouldn't you love the past to be wiped away, all sins wiped away, and then you have a new fresh start every day with somebody who can tell you the right way to go? I guarantee you have committed or made at least a thousand mistakes in your life of direction when you could seek somebody here who can tell you the right direction every time. Any amen on that one? And Jesus comes to you in your life today. What a great time to put your faith in Jesus if you never have. What a great time to rededicate your life if you backslid and walked away from Jesus Christ. What a great time, Christmas. That way you don't crate him up on December 26th. That way he becomes your personal savior every day, every minute, every second of your life. You see, religion says, I just can work my way and do all these things to be right with God. No, you can't. Jesus comes along and says, I'm here to give you relationship with Jesus Christ, with Jesus through the Father. That's what he came to give us, every last one of us. And that's what I'm gonna offer you today. I'm gonna give you the opportunity to place your faith in Jesus. Place your faith in Jesus. Well, Jim, don't all roads lead to God? Uh, sorry, uh, wrong. Every religion in the world, and Christianity is not a religion, but every religion says, I can work my way to God. God, Jesus, the God man says, no, you can't. That's why I came down to you. That's called grace. That's called grace. And two competing ideas, both cannot be right. That's the law of non-contradiction. Only one is right. And that's the God man, Jesus Christ. And he says, you can't work your way to God. You can't earn your way to God. It took the grace of God to come down to you. And he came down on that Christmas day for you, for you. And he grew up and he went to that cross and they killed him for you. And they buried him in that crate of a tomb and he blew that crate open for you. And he rose from the dead to give you new life. I'm gonna give you that opportunity right now for that new life. I'm gonna ask no moving around. Close your eyes right now. No, please, no moving around. As you sit here today, analyzing, thinking, listening, listen, the crate of your heart is open right now. Let Jesus come into that heart. Don't crate him up again on December 26th. Come into personal relationship with him. What does that mean? It means you ask him to forgive you of your sins. You invite him to come into your life. You declare that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the only true living God. And then you walk in personal relationship with him the way God always intended before mankind sinned. Or maybe you backslid. You walked away. You created up, man. Your heart's created up. Time to uncrate it. Time to break the bolt off and let him come back and lead you in your life because you know it's not working. If you're honest, you know it's not working. So I'm gonna give you an opportunity right now. If you'd like to place your faith in Jesus for the first time and hopefully the last time you'll ever have to say this prayer or you wanna rededicate your life because you've drifted off and you created it up, it's time to come back and make a right. What I want you to do right now, with every eye closed, as a sign between you, me, and God, that you want to put your faith in Christ or rededicate your life, I want you to open up your eyes right now. Look up at me right now. I'm going to look around the room. When our eyes meet, you can close them. But do it right now. 
Now, those who looked up at me, I'm going to say this prayer. I want you to repeat it out loud with me, and everyone in this room who's a Christian is going to repeat it out loud with you so you're not alone. Now, the prayer itself is important because the Bible says you must confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord. But the other parts is more important. You must believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You got to believe now, friend. You got to put your faith in Jesus now. Through the confession of faith of your mouth and the belief in your heart, that's where salvation happens. Boy, that's a different road than the world that says you got to work for it. But then from here on out, you're going to follow Christ. He's going to be your God because he's alive. So here we go. Repeat this prayer out loud after me. Everyone say it with them. Those who looked at me, say it. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would die for me on a cross, experiencing the torment of hell, my hell, reserved for me, shedding your blood to forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, of all my sins. And I know I'm forgiven. Thank you for saving me. Today I choose to follow you with my whole heart for the rest of my life. Thank you. Now let me pray. God, I pray for everyone here that looked up. Let me pray for you as I talk to you. You can walk outside these walls and crate Jesus right back up. That just means you didn't believe. Or you can keep the crate open and walk in this new life, in this relationship with God, the Father through Jesus Christ. I challenge you now to begin to read the Bible. If you don't have one, we have them here. We'll give them to you free. Stay in the New Testament for a couple years. I challenge you to get in church and learn about the God you now know and serve, the only God. I challenge you to tell other people that you are walking with Christ now. You've got to start gutsy from the get-go. And know that you know that you know the Holy Spirit now dwells in you and will never leave you. You're not alone. But I also want you to know that God is going to do some redirections in your life. Because God owns a schematic on your life. He knows the beginning, middle, and end. And he knows what your life was always meant to be. And he'll direct you now. If you let him. If you let him. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said? Amen, amen and amen. Stand up with me, everybody. Praise the Lord. Now, I need your attention just for a minute. Then I'll let you go. So please, if you looked up at me for salvation and for rededication, please... Please do yourself a favor. We have prayer people to my left or right. Go ask somebody to pray for you there. They'll give you a little bit of biblical advice to get going right. They'll point you in these things called next steps that we like to do here to help you in your faith. But don't negate that. Open the crate wide open and do that. If you have also, if you have, whoever you are, if you have any prayer needs at all, they're right here for you. They're praying for you also. Take advantage of that. Take advantage of that. But let me just tell you from my heart, thank you for another, I know we're not done with the year, but thank you for another great year. God is good, and I pray, and I hope that you do have a great Christmas, that you are that light in the middle of the family, 
that you're the one. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Be the person that God meant you to be. Hey, Merry Christmas. God bless you guys. We'll see you later. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, oh. The regulars know what I just did. Here we go. Repeat after me. Lord, keep me outward focused. And fill me with your spirit. Give me the boldness to share the gospel with others. Open up opportunities to minister outside the church because I see what I'm looking for and make me into a generous person like you. God bless you guys. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco or email us at hello at nbcc.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.